Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pages Unknown, the podcast dedicated to all things bookish and nerdy. My name is Zachariah, and I will be joined, as always, by my fabulous co-host, Michaela. Say hi, Michaela. Hi, Michaela. It's Valentine's Day, so obviously we're discussing Real, the spicy, forbidden Hollywood romance by Kennedy Ryan. To help introduce us to the Kennedy Ryan cinematic universe, we have a very special guest, TikTok star, friend of the people, friend of the pod, Satoria, aka Satray Reads. Say hi, Satoria. Hi, Satoria. Woo! <laughs> I'm in such a rush, you know? It's so fun. Oh my God, we're so excited to have you here. This has been such a long time coming. Quick reminder before we mm. really get into it new episodes of Pages Unknown are out almost every week. And I know I've mentioned it before, but the best way to get notified of all our new episodes is by subscribing to the podcast on Spotify or Apple. If you're enjoying the podcast, right now is a great time to recommend Pages Unknown to a bookish friend. Thanks for subscribing. <laughs> so, Toria, welcome to the podcast. As Michaela said, this has been a long time coming, and we're so glad that you made time for us. We're going to have a little bit of time at the end of the episode to ask Satoria a couple of burning questions that the people want to know. So we're going to wait to the very end on that, but I, I want to dive right into kind of describing real, the story that we're talking about today. I'm going to try to go through it relatively quickly, but our main character, Neva Saint, is the understudy for a popular Broadway play, and on the night she's set to fill in and be the star of the show, a hotshot Hollywood director, Cannon Holt, is in the audience. Holt just so happens to be in a desperate search for the star of his next film, a biopic of Desi Blue, a little-known but hugely popular jazz singer of the likes of Billie Holiday. As she settles into her breakout role, Cannon and Neva attempt to keep their love and lust at bay until filming wraps, but find it hard to keep their hands off of each other. While production moves along at lightning speed, Neva must grapple with what she's willing to give up to make this happen. So I think we're going to start... With Satoria, I would love to have some of your initial thoughts, how you came out of the book after you... I think this is your second time reading through it, right? This is not your first time going through it. No, the first time I read the book was like early 2023, maybe. So yeah, it's this is my mm -hmm. second time. Um, I'll go through my initial reactions. Like the very first time I read it was like, wow. <laughs> um, I, at that point in time... <laughs> was doing like a tandem read with the audiobook and I believe at that point in time it was the digital copy and I just remember it was the mm -hmm. first actually I think audiobook that I listened to like ever um and I remember oh. yeah yeah um and I remember being like this is a production. Like there's someone singing and like, it was just fabulous. Uh -huh. And so when I finished the book, I feel like because I did the audio, I left being like, wow, this is a remarkable story. It's a very important story. And I also want Canon to be real. So oh. like, where can I find him at? Because, <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Well, I already gave people where they could find you on social media. So maybe you'll find somebody on there <laughs> coming after you who's self-described canon we can do that Michaela what about you how did you come how did you feel coming out of this book how did I I mean I felt so uplifted I think that something that's really mm. addictive about Kennedy Ryan's writing is how there's going to be crap that people are going through there's going to be a lot of shit but you are going to get to a point where the characters are happy they're okay they've resolved their issues you get that happy ending that romance readers are mm -hmm. just like itching for and I had that in spades. This was like, mm. oh, heartstrings, heart tugging, warm and fuzzies, butterflies. I loved that she sort of leans into the cliches of like the the wrap up almost. Like we're there are people who complain about in romance when you get to the end, it's sort of like a synopsis mm -hmm. of everything that's happened and like a, but we made it out. And when authors shy away from that type of thing, it doesn't hit quite the same. Not Kennedy Ryan. Kennedy Ryan said, oh, we're leaning in. We're doing a here's what you missed on. This is going to the Keynes Film Festival. And everything about this is wrapped up in a beautiful bow. <laughs> I just loved it. It just made me feel so like, like I was getting a hug. I thought it was so cute. I love them so mm -hmm. much. 
What about you, Zach, though? A very intense hug. Yeah, a very intense hug. <laughs> You're not a romance reader, though. So like, well, this is you know, different for you. I'm oh, not. Wow. Okay. I am not. See, that's the thing. I don't think you know no. about me, Satoria. A lot of the romance books have been recommended to me against my will. <laughs> and the ones that I... <laughs> but this one was really, really fun. What's funny is that I think I find myself reading like heterosexual romance more than I find myself reading MM or sap, uh, sapphic mm. romance. And I'm not going to complain. Kennedy, Kennedy Ryan has created a man that I'm like, I might already be married, but like we can negotiate. <laughs> <laughs> we can have a conversation. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I think I came out of it being like, wow, there's a lot packed in here. And it's, it's the same reason I like cozy fantasy, right? It's because like you have a happy ending for a lot of the time. No pun intended here, <laughs> by the way. I really, really had a good time with it. I went really fast. Like it's a, it's a yeah. quick read, but I'm regretting not doing the audiobook now. We're going to get into audiobook because I do want to talk about that for a little bit. But since we're kind of on the topic of romance generally as a genre, uh, Michaela, I know that you read a lot of romance but you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a romance reader. So I would like to know why. Uh, and Satoria, do you feel the same way okay. as Michaela's about to describe? You know, it's kind of <laughs> tricky because I do read a lot of romance and I read a sort of wide swath of romance. There isn't so much in the romance section that I wouldn't pick up. But for some reason, I have this image in my head of a person who's a romance reader. And like, I don't fit that image in my head. So like I have a coworker she exclusively reads romance. That's all she reads. She does not read fiction, nonfiction, fantasy, nothing, just romance. And so when I speak with her about book recommendations and, and things like that to give customers and, and whatever, she is so knowledgeable and I'm not like at all. And so I feel like that could also play into it where I'm just, I interact with people like on TikTok and in real life that just know the genre backwards and forwards, and I do not. So maybe that's why. I don't know. It's nothing against romance because I love romance books. I oh, I love romance books. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Yeah, it's such so fun. But yeah, I don't know. I guess I just don't. Something about it doesn't seem to fit. Like I think of myself as a fantasy reader before anything else. So maybe that's why. I don't know. For me, okay, so I used to exclusively read nonfiction, like outside of childhood reading. When I was oh. a child, I read a lot of fantasy um, mm. and like dystopian. But when I was in undergraduate school, I almost exclusively read nonfiction. And it wasn't until the pandemic that I picked up the selection series, which is, <laughs> it's such like, um, I picked this up during the pandemic. I love you so much. Series. Mm -hmm. My God. Because I, I don't think that I would have picked that, that series up had the world not been so dark. And so like, I have nothing of certainty, like my job, mm -hmm. I was a teacher, didn't know what that looked like, didn't know where my students were. So oh, there was God so bless. much uncertainty. And it was like, I just want to read something where I know there's a guaranteed happy ending, which is why I picked up the selection series. It's a young adult romance. Um, if you're not familiar with it, it's it's very much described as like The Bachelor, almost. <laughs> um, yeah. And it was I so still have comforting. my <laughs> Me too. And it was so <laughs> comforting and cozy. And I had not read romance before that in like years. And I was like, wow, like I, I really love this. Um, mm -hmm. And so I started reading romance and I don't know, I go back and forth with whether or not I would call myself a romance reader. My friend was applying to the ripped bodice here in Brooklyn and wow. it's a romance. <sighs> yeah. It's a romance uh, mm -hmm. exclusive bookstore. And so I was going through the application with her and it was asking all of these questions about like, the, the romance genre at large and like do you have recommendations for this and do you have recommendations mm -hmm. for this within romance and I was like no <laughs> I was like the selection you. the yeah, selection I was like <laughs> I know three romance books apparently like I just I thought that I was a romance reader right because this is happening last year and at that point I'd been reading romance for like a year and a half two years it like 
primarily romance. So I'm like, yeah, I'm a romance reader. But then it started mm-hmm. asking all of these questions. I was like, maybe I'm not. Like, <laughs> maybe I'm not a romance reader. And now the more <laughs> that I think about it, I'm like, I I feel like I read across a wide range of genres that romance reader exclusively does not fit comfortably with me because I read so widely. And also I've learned through talking to people who mostly read romance, like what they are hoping to get for out of a romance book is not what I'm necessarily hoping to get for. Mm. So when I talk to people and I tell them the, the type of romance that I like, and honestly, a lot of the romance that I really, really enjoy, the romantic relationship is not at the forefront. That's not a commonality that is shared by a lot of like true romance readers. And so I think in that way, it's difficult to call myself a romance reader because I don't share a lot of the like, oh my God, I'm so obsessed with this relationship. Like most of the yeah. time, I'm like, eh, whatever, he's just a man. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like he's just can You know, like it's just like whatever. He's just a guy. Yeah, Hit him like, with your car. Exactly. Like, <laughs> like I, whatever. But I'm, I'm like always like, oh my God, like the woman or just like the way that her friends loved her or like all of the other aspects of love that show up yeah the way that she loves herself right and so in that way I would say I don't know if I could call myself a romance reader I feel like you can call yourself whatever you want but I often don't call myself like a romance reader I just say like I enjoy reading romance yeah I actually love that distinction you made of like what you're looking to get out of the book is not the same as what a romance, like capital R, capital R romance reader is looking for. Because it Mm -hmm. is so much based in not necessarily escapism, but looking for something that brings you up instead of depressing you. (laughs) Because so much of nonfiction is really, it's tough to get through because a lot of it is very deeply upsetting. And a lot of like fiction and fantasy is rooted so deeply in trauma not necessarily healing that trauma. It's just about being traumatized. And in romance, you actually get to see the healing journey that people take with their friends, their family, their loved ones. That's a really interesting distinction. It resonates a lot with me because I know that there are so many romance series that are a lot more in-depth into the psyche, (laughs) like the psychological impacts of things. And those aren't the ones I'm reading. I'm reading like Done and Dusted, which is a cowboy romance. (laughs) I read that one too. (laughs) It's so cute, the cover. So that resonates with me really strongly. I think that's a great way to put it. I would be reading more romance, I think, if it the miscommunication trope wasn't so common in romance books. I hate the miscommunication trope and I get it, but it feels it feels too real. Because I am, uh, 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 feels too real. Haha, <laughs> I'm so funny. Uh, it, but really, I just don't like it because it does feel like this is how I interact with people. And I'm like, my poor husband, is this what he has to go through? So I don't like to read that in a romance book. <laughs> Zach, kind of interested to hear your answer on this. Because so this, this mm. book, I was reading through an interview with Kennedy Ryan. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was specifically talking about the audiobook version of it. And like Satoria said, there is, mm-hmm. there's music in the audiobook, there's instrumental, there's singing. It feels very lively and very alive, almost in a sense, which you don't really normally get with audiobooks about romance. There's not people singing in the background of them. So, do you think, mm-hmm. Zechariah, that you would read more romance if it was all like audiobooks like this, where it's almost like you're listening to a TV show? Interesting question. Uh, the way that Satoria has described it to us now where it's like feels like this almost like a stage production like it's it like mirrors you know what's going on in the book there's singing there's performance which is very very nice touch kennedy ryan a uh, friend of the pod kennedy ryan but um um i think i we would wish. absolutely i'm just gonna plug it every time yeah we wish i do think i would read more listen to more audiobooks if they were done in this style there is a fine line between audiobook and a radio show you guys know what i yeah. what i mean like right and but i do love multicast mm. audiobooks like i've listened to a couple of those now and satori i think love. did you also do the atlas six yes. uh an audiobook yes 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 i love a multicast <laughs> i love a production <laughs> what can i say <laughs> i think i would read more but is, is this how you normally kind of do things a tandem read with the 
audiobook or is this just like a kind of a new thing of doing the tandem read? So it uh, depends on several different factors, one of which being the author's writing style. There are some writing styles that are harder for me to follow along with solely in audio, like mm-hmm. Olive Blake, for example. I would not know what was going on if I didn't have the no. words in front of me to be able to follow along in that way no. because she writes in this very descriptive way in which every single word matters. And so if you miss like a few words, then you've actually missed a lot. So in that instance, I need yeah. to be able to see the words, but... The reason that I was doing real as a tandem is because it was my first audiobook. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know what to expect. I honestly don't read a lot of romance ah. in audio because it is similar to what you were talking about, Michaela. Like audio for me, I like it to be a production. And a lot of times romance just feels like two people talking to each other mm. and um, or it's just like a singular person telling the story. And for romance, if it's dual POV, like that's difficult for me to really understand that like this is a romance and there's actually like another perspective here. So I don't usually typically read romance in audio format, but with real, I did. And the tandem was really nice because if you're just reading real, like on physical or digital, you can see that there are lyrics there, but the the singing of them really brought the story mm-hmm. to life and really like shaped, I think, what Kennedy Ryan was trying to do with this like mm. story and a story mm. and really pulls you out of present day what is happening with Neva and Canon and then what is happening in the movie mm-hmm. that they're filming, which I think is really was a really cool experience to have. Um, so to yeah. answer your question, I feel like I like went around <laughs> your question. I'm like circling back to your I love question. What we do. Um, yeah, we love a circle. Back. I love a circle back. Uh, let me circle back to your question. It depends. Mostly, though, I, I don't do a tandem with audio. Unless it is like a Mm -hmm. a fantasy or literary fiction. And I kind of need to see the words in order to fully understand what's going on. If it's not, I can just follow along with the audio. It is. I always feel like I have to have the book in either in physical format or on a Kindle when I'm doing the... uh, I've never done an audiobook only my ears. I I have never done that because my brain wanders. There's not enough ADHD medication in the world to like make my brain like actively be able to pay attention to this. And, and see, that's the first joke that I've not, I've, that wasn't a joke. You know what I mean? That's real life. I really just can't focus on anything. But wait, you know, what's so interesting about that is I have a lot of friends who have ADHD and they exclusively read an audio, but the only way that they can do it, if it's, it's like at like six mm-hmm. times speed and so I'm oh my like God. talking oh, yeah. to one of my friends and I was like, how are you? Like they're speaking so fast. And she's like, if I slow it down even just a bit, like my mind will wonder. And so if it's not at this like super high, like the highest it can be speed, like I can't do audio. And then I have other friends who are like, nope, it doesn't matter what speed it's at. If I can't see the words, mm-hmm. um, I can't do it. But I, I find that to be very fascinating. Like yeah. I think it just goes back to the way that our brains all process information differently. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so fascinating, right? How even with me, like a different genre makes audiobooks almost like I- impossible for me, mm-hmm. depending yeah. on genre and things like that. So I think mm-hmm. that a lot of times we talk about audiobooks as like, oh, everyone can just pick up an audiobook, but it's way more nuanced than that. And it gets really granular into like, mm-hmm. what is the genre? What is the writing style? What are the narrators? Like that sort of thing with audio. It's so interesting, too, because it's almost as if, like, you know, anybody can go, you can go to a store, you can pick up a book, do your thing, live your life, read it on your Kindle, whatever. But you almost have to do a little bit extra work for audiobooks to find Mm. what works best with you. I have not found what works best for me with audiobooks yet. I don't really reach for them very often. In fact, I reach for them never. I've never thought to myself, like, oh, I wish I was listening to this. This is the first book that I have ever like read it and then was going through interviews and, you know, looking into Kennedy Ryan. And this was the first time that I felt like I missed out where I was Mm -hmm. like this, I feel like this would have enhanced my experience. So I almost want to like go back and do it again, which I might, but Mm -hmm. it's really interesting how even in the same hobby, we're all reading, we're all readers. There is so much depth to how a person reads 
and how they process the information they're reading, that it just, it warrants that conversation of here's XYZ type of reading. Here's this audiobook with this narrator and this person like reprised the role and they did a way better job than this person did. Like, it's almost like you're talking about Broadway. Like it feels <laughs> yeah. very no, cinematic. Really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of interesting. It's an art form really. Yeah. Oh, to be a good narrator, I can't, I, oh my God, recording audiobooks seems like it is such an arduous task. You go in, you're there for hours reading over and over and over again. I, I mean, props to anybody who does that. I'm actively, I have the, I have the thing. I'm doing one for one of our mutuals right now, and I'm, I'm gonna tell you guys, it is so freaking annoying to do this. While I do think that, I think both of you would be very good at narrating a thing. I just don't have the patience, and I'm gonna have to suffer through this. I think. <laughs> but this kind of, this is a good question, though. Like this, this overarching thing of like, what, what does it mean to be a romance reader? I, I kind of, I almost push it away because I'm like, actually, I feel like I'm finding myself being drawn more to romanticy, which is like maybe mm. a thing that some people are kind of not familiar with right now because uh, it's new. I'm putting quotations around that because we've had this thing for a while now. But I like audiobooks that are done in that specific genre, like mm. fantasy and romanticy. Spice, spice being read to me by somebody. <laughs> I don't know how I feel. I don't know how I feel. <laughs> I mean, what do you think? <laughs> Don't I, look at me. So Tell me more. Here's the thing, okay? I <laughs> so <laughs> if you've read real, right? Like there's there's it's not like the most spiciest mm-hmm. thing you'll ever read, but if you're no, it's no. your first time in audio, I was like, oh, I feel like I'm intruding. <laughs> like this is <laughs> Exactly. Whoa. I was like, um, Blushing. okay. And now I will go to the physical. Yeah. Like it felt like I shouldn't be watching. Mm. And then there's like, I don't know how explicit you all get on here, but there's like moaning and it's, it's just totally like, they're like, they're, they're like mm-hmm. making the sounds and I'm like, okay. Um, <sighs> Oh. oh, I didn't uh, even think about that because I haven't listened to the audiobook of this. I didn't even think about the moaning being performed. Yeah, it's and this is like a pretty tame, like I've read like mm-hmm. Butcher and Blackbird yes. and like even Bride by Ali Hazelwood. Like I Mm-mm. I can do it, um, <laughs> but it's still one of those things where it's like I I think I'm a little too immature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be doing spicy romance in audio because I, my face when I when I get to those scenes is like this is a lot. Like this is a lot, and it is it is strange, especially when they do start to like the grunts and the other noises. I'm like, okay, we could do without this, and I just imagine like that. What what filming that like i <laughs> recording that i mean like i oh I, that's how multiple i multiple times Jeez, Louise. was that was that good oh, was no, that good can you, they're like can you groan a little bit more deeper because like she said it was like a go. throaty Gotta groan go. like i just, <laughs> just I everyone give me red. your best throaty groan real quick what the fuck <laughs> this is ridiculous <laughs> It's insane. Oh my God. It's, it's insane. It's, Can you imagine? Th- no. Well, think about how, and and this is like an interesting thing in audio, but not every audiobook narrator is a voice actor. So if you're just like just some guy, a regular, regular person, you know, you're just you, and you get into the studio regular. and you're reading, and you're like, oh my I God. growled, and they're like, no, 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 I don't want you to read. I growled. Like I want you to growl. Like I. That takes like acting training. Like, absolutely. I feel like I you just laugh. Imagine. Yeah, I wouldn't be. They would quickly be like, thank you for your time, unfortunately. It's time. We're going in a different direction. Thank you so much. Leave. Yeah, we, we, need, we need someone that's, you know, an adult. Um, so you uh, unfortunately don't make the cut. I have never thought of that before. Because now, like, in my head, I'm going through, like, the romanticy books. And it's always, like, he snarled or growled or whatever we all make fun of that stuff but he barked a laugh <laughs> 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 literally me in the studio like literally barking oh my god <laughs> i have never thought of that before 
and I'm going to be beat red for the rest of this episode. I am. Because I'm like, I can't. Like, my partner can always tell when I'm at, like, a sexy scene in a book because I will sit there and my whole face is like, like, I'm no. He said what? He did what? For those of you who are not watching the episode, (laughs) Kayla's face is fully taut and terrified. Like I get so like, no, oh God. It feels like I'm doing something I shouldn't be. Uh, So I can only imagine the audiobook. I'd be like, oh my God, fast forward, fast forward. (laughs) In prep for this episode, I briefly was talking to my mother while I'm emptying like the, you know, the dishwasher and just talking to her about it. And she goes, do you remember when you would uh, like be taking my Danielle Steele books for hours at a time? I'm like, no, what do you mean? (laughs) How old was I? She's like, not old enough. And I didn't stop you. This is the weirdest conversation we're having right now. (laughs) This is to stop. (laughs) Oh my God. We have a, there's so much in this book also that we can like pluck out and like talk about. So yeah. I think maybe we should tackle a couple of those. Kind of the big one here, I think, is this overarching story of people of color's contributions to film, TV, music being ignored, glossed over, or literally kind of unknown. This person, Desi Blue, in here is uh, Kennedy Ryan is pulling inspiration from Billie Holiday, Bessie Smith, Hazel Scott, all of these other individuals whose contributions have kind of been, you know, downplayed, I think, for a couple of them. But I kept thinking of 20 Feet from Stardom, and I don't know if either of you have watched that movie or not. Mm-hmm. But uh, I keep, it's these three or three or four back backup singers who are black women who are just like, I can sing better than all these people. Why won't you let me be the front singer, right? And it's yeah. all of these really, anyway, this is a big thing, and I'd love to know either of your thoughts about this huge, very huge topic. <laughs> huge i don't know how to intro that very well i'm so sorry (laughs) you know what i thought was very fascinating about how she set the story up was he was just in the town and like Mm. randomly passed like a little placard that had desi blue's name on it and thought like there is Mm -hmm. a story there which i thought was such a powerful way to introduce the the topic that Kennedy Ryan is exploring here about like these unknown contributions, because she also does this really good job of this balance of like, it is unknown to who, right? Like in the town where Desi Blue is from, like everyone knew who she was, but like when you, when you zone out of that town, like no one could tell you who she was, Um, which I think is a like interesting dichotomy of thinking about lost history and like, who is it lost to how do you decide like this is a story that should be told to a larger audience versus Mm -hmm. this is something that should be kept within community because there are a lot of uh, people whose contributions like larger society might not know but within community it's like of course we all know who that person is but what I really liked about this story is that you get to really learn about like Desi Blue while learning about Mm -hmm. like canon and also like it's just like all of these different storytellers that you are learning about and the contributions of like storytellers and those who they are telling the story about which I think is really fascinating because it is inarguable that like without Desi Blue this film wouldn't exist but also without canon like this film wouldn't exist because no one else probably Mm -hmm. would have saw this as a story that was, you know, something that was worthy of being told. And so just like the the role of Black filmmakers and Black storytellers and doing some of the revival of Black history, I think is like such a beautiful sort of uh, thing to think about. And like how how limiting it is to actually do what Canon did, because there aren't a lot of like super prominent Black filmmakers, and if they are, it's not because they have primarily focused on Black stories that are revival stories. Um, It's more like, let's just get some representation out there, which is important. But also, I think that there has to be sort of this, like, representation has always existed. And instead of always trying to produce new representation, what if we went out and found the representation that like, we don't know is currently out there, if that makes Mm. sense. And so this very well could have been a story about like a a made up black singer and it could have been a phenomenal film, right? I'm sure it would have been great, but instead of making up this, this story, 
he went out and like told the story of someone who was real and that's still representation and I think that's really beautiful and I I, I don't know if Kennedy Ryan was like thinking this deeply into it I'm sure she was because she is someone who does like a lot of research and a lot of yeah. thinking deeply yeah. about the stories that she wants to tell and so I, I I always wonder right like what why did she sort of make the decisions that she did about how specifically the story played out it's so interesting because I think we've talked about the romance genre being sort of pushed to the side. People think it's frivolous and silly and not yeah. really doing very much. Mm-hmm. But Kennedy Ryan is really front of mind when you think of romance as a form of social commentary. And sh- she's said before in several interviews that romance is the best genre to make social commentary through simply because you'll get your happy Mm -hmm. ending. So a lot of these very difficult topics are more palatable when you know that it's all going to be okay for the characters at the end. Something that I was kind of thinking about while I was reading was a pretty common complaint we have here on the podcast, or at least I have, which is, you know, your job as an author is to make me care about your characters. If I don't care, why am I reading it? This book to me, and it's so funny that this silly fluffy book had me thinking, it's not about like me caring about the character. It's about the character caring about something, whether that something is representation, Mm. whether it's climate change, whether it's a small town finally getting its dues historically, like whatever the, the, social problem is. If the character cares deeply about it, I will care deeply about it because they have to have that that drive. And exactly what you're describing with Canon, actively making choices to do the hard thing, but the right thing makes me root for him, makes me want him to succeed. And it makes me curious, like, well, what else is going on in the background here? Who are these people he's talking about? these jazz musicians. Let me do some deep diving into that. And she has done all of that. Kennedy Ryan did all that in a silly, fluffy romance book. So that's right. I mean, (laughs) what, what really is so important about romance here? She's really, and I, I, I'm looking into her other books and so much of it, like different ones about, you know, people's marriages falling apart and coming back together and, the growth Mm -hmm. of one person, you're sort of leaving your partner behind, but is it right for you to stagnate and stop your own growth for the sake of being with them? That's huge. Those are huge emotional topics to take on simultaneously tackling social issues. (laughs) Like that's crazy. And all of it is done (laughs) through some cute, smutty romance. Like, are you kidding? That is such talent. (laughs) It's crazy. And I just, so much of this was so engaging to me where I felt like my brain was switched on. It's like, I, I, I could have been reading this. I could have been reading Babel like about, you know, <laughs> the art of translation being inherently sure. evil and Oh God, so much of it was just was imbued with so much love and tenderness and respect. And it just shines right through the text. I really, this was, this was pretty cool. This was a cool experience. I love that you said it was treated with respect because this is a minor I'm saying minor spoiler, but like Desi is not like a fully straight human person. And that like minor detail absolutely made me think about this entire thing so differently because now not only is she a woman, not only is she a black woman, but she's also a black queer woman. So like the levels of erasure, (laughs) the limit does not exist, Katie Heron. You know what I mean? Like it is actively happening on all levels here. And I'm not going to say anything more about it necessarily, but the fact that that was put in there but it's a minor detail. It's a minor thing. Uh, but the way you're talking about it being structured, uh, Satoria, the entire like book itself, what we learn about Desi and all these other folks who, you know, the whole point of this, right? The way that we learn about them is through the script, as it were. But at, you can't really tell if it's a script or if we're doing a flashback. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, is this actively what happened? And it's such a nice little detail that Kennedy Ryan did. And like a strategic one, right? Like she didn't have to have made mm-hmm. Desi queer, but she did. And I think that that just speaks to like the 
thoughtfulness of like Kennedy Ryan as a writer, but Mm. also the way in which a singular choice made by an author can speak so much about the social commentary that they're trying to make without Kennedy Ryan having to go in like a nonfiction book, right? And talk about the erasure of of queer Black women. Like Kennedy Ryan is pointing you to like, why is this story not told? Like there are so many layers of why that Mm -hmm. she relies on history to kind of carry that weight for her because if she went into it, it would no longer be a romance. And so I think that that's like really another powerful point about the genre is that a lot of times when you really get into the nuances of things like erasure and racism and white supremacy, if you were really to like flush them out in a romance novel, like I said, it wouldn't, it would no longer be romance. It would no longer fit in the confines of romance. And so what a lot of authors have to do is like that balance of this is still needs to be a happy ever after you still have to feel safe. You still have to feel comforted enough to trust Mm -hmm. me to get you to the happy ever after. But we can also start start to have these conversations and hopefully like what Michaela is talking about that the conversations I start here Mm -hmm. spark an interest that when you close the book, right, you feel like, okay, let me go figure out kind of what Kennedy Ryan was trying to talk about here. And I think that that's so powerful. And there are um, so many authors like Nikki Payne, for example, does this as well, where she's Mm -hmm. trying to start a conversation and is hoping readers trust her and the work that she put into the novel enough to finish the conversation once they close the book. Yeah, that is so powerful. It's also... Absolutely. Such a reminder that romance as a genre is there's a seat for everybody at the table. And it's our job Mm -hmm. as consumers of these books to make sure those seats stay open and make sure we're constantly opening the conversation up to everyone. And this was such a beautiful reminder of the power of representation, not just queer representation, not just black representation, but we've also have a character who has lupus. And so this, I mean, there's something for everyone to feel seen, to feel understood. I know that Kennedy Ryan has a book that features an indigenous character and she just, I mean, it wasn't even a second thought to reach out to indigenous people to do research with them, to hear their stories and treat it lovingly and make sure that that fear that I think a lot of underrepresented groups have of like, okay, I understand that this character is going to look like me, but is it really going to be good representation or is it going to be harmful representation if you're telling a story that's not necessarily yours? And she's just showing the blueprint of it's easy to be respectful when you actually include people in the conversation. Uh, When I go, when people are asking for recommendations at at my job, it's such a broader conversation of like, okay, you're looking for romance. Great baseline. Let's build. Like, let's go from there. And this just opens up, I think, a whole new sphere of, uh, of understanding for what the romance genre can do. It's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Literally the power of the written word to like who is and who is not documented is like a really big, the whole point of this really. I do want to talk about lupus for a second, which is such a weird <laughs> way to start that sentence. But our main character has a chronic illness. And I really, really appreciate that this was like shown and uh, how it relates to like her family and the relationships that she has with them. So I, as I told you at the beginning of this, I went down a Wikipedia hole about lupus. So nine out of 10 people with lupus are female identified. Black women are three times more likely to develop lupus than white women. And they have actively no idea why. (laughs) And it's just this like very interesting thing when Kennedy, I don't know if Kennedy Ryan happens to know somebody in her life that has this, but um, we're talking about multiple types of representation. And there are a couple of creators on BookTok that the whole platform is just like disability rep or like chronic illness. Uh, Nicole Zellnicker comes to mind. Like she talks about um, actively having um, a couple of these chronic illnesses. I just think that was a nice little in, uh, addition there. I feel like I don't really see main characters who are doing this type of thing. They might contract a poison or something like that and some of these high fantasy things, but you don't really see, I think, chronic illness like that. That's kind of interesting too, because there's currently a conversation happening on Book Talk because of yet another inane comment made by someone who has no idea what they're talking about, about 
you know, mm. BIPOC representation, what is Here and what go. isn't. And then also oh, yeah. disability oh, representation, God. what is and what isn't. And I think we all know what isn't, for fuck's sake. <laughs> you would hope we'd all <laughs> well, know. Well, maybe we don't. <laughs> yeah, maybe we don't actually. all know. <laughs> yeah. Apparently That's there's some confusion. Mark, yeah. Oh, my God. But this... Well, Satori, you made a whole video being like, this is what it means. This is what the acronym means. (laughs) Use your fingers. If you're on, go type it into Google. Idiot. Every time I open that app, it feels like, why? Why? Why can't we just be quiet? (laughs) (laughs) Stop sharing every thought with other people. (laughs) For fuck's sake. But this was handled beautifully. This was... Again, another example of a large problem distilled down to its core, having a donation of a kidney from a loved one, and that not even being a question Mm. of whether or not they would do it. It was just a, of course, I'm going to show up for you in this way, is the perfect tool for romance because it's showing Satoria like exactly what you were talking about at the beginning Mm. of this episode, that familial love, that friendship love that is just as important as romantic love in this genre. And that little tidbit at the end where she's looking at the photo of the two of them in their hospital beds, zonked out of their minds, holding hands and just physically being there for each other, obviously, Mm. but also just even in that moment when you're zonked out completely, still being it's so human, it's so real, and it just completely personifies that experience. Oh, God, it just everything about it was so beautiful. <laughs> it's just so human. Yeah. <laughs> Selena Gomez of it all. <laughs> God, I was waiting. I was waiting. It's like, I know he's going to bring up Selena. Oh, were you? No. I do have a question for you before we get into kind of the the questions that we have for you, the burning questions. So you recommended this book, Real, as a starting point for Kennedy Ryan's catalog, the Kennedy Ryan Cinematic Universe. Where should readers go next on this? Like, which are your faves from the catalog? Because you've, you've read a, quite a few of these, yeah? Yeah, I've read quite a few Kennedy Ryan. Okay, so I always tell people that Real is the starting place because I feel like it is the least potentially traumatic Mm. Kennedy Ryan can write some pretty heavy books and there are books like long shot for example that I would not recommend to everyone because it is probably one of the most heaviest books that I've ever read like ever um Mm. and again when we're talking about romance right like this is a book in which the the romantic relationship does not come together until like 80 percent into the book and in fact most of the books she is dealing with uh, a man who is not going to be the person that she ends up with. And while in in this relationship with this man, like oh. dealing with domestic violence, right? And so most oh, wow. of the book is 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 the story of, of Iris in that book dealing with domestic violence. And she does not get into the romantic relationship. And so like the book is almost over. Um, wow. It was such a well done book. It is a book that I could never read again. And it is a book again that like I wouldn't go... Oh, wow there next and in fact if you didn't read that book i think you would be okay instead what i would like it's just and i say this because i had someone tell me like oh long shot is really heavy like please like be careful and i was like no 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 Mm -hmm. like it's okay i can handle it and then i got into that book and i was like I don't, I don't know, right? Like if I can handle, cause it, it was very, it was very oh, heavy wow, and no. very graphic. Yeah. So that series uh, deals with, it's like the Hoops trilogy is a bit heavier. So mm-hmm. I, I would make that the last one. I think you could go to Before I Let Go next. Um, especially if you're like wanting something new from Kennedy Ryan, because this could be us comes out March 5th and it's in the same universe, but it's following a different couple Mm -hmm. before I let go is you've probably seen people crying on the internet about it. It is sad, but it is not traumatic. Um, And then this could be us, the follow-up book that I got an advanced copy of. I feel like 
if you wanted to read Longshot, but you were scared, rightfully mm-hmm. so, you could read This Could Be Us because they follow sort of the ah, same. Okay. I'm I'm in this relationship with this person who is not good for me. I need to get out of this relationship. I need to work on myself. I need to heal. I need to go through the self-love journey so that I can be ready for the actual romantic relationship that I'm going to get in. This Could Be Us is fabulous. It is one that I don't think like capital R, capital R romance readers will actually, uh, I'm interested (laughs) to see what they will think because it is actually not really Mm -hmm. a romance book in the traditional sense. Most of it is about self-love. She's falling in love with herself. Like, yeah, the, the, it is, she is on like a self partnering journey. Yeah, it's great. So I would go to Before I Let Go Next. And then the ones that we talked about, uh, the Kingmaker series, uh, that's a great series also Mm -hmm. to go to um, as well, because it's not uh, as like traumatic. It reads more like Scandal. So if you're a fan of Scandal. (laughs) I love that. You're a fan of Scandal. You need a wine and the popcorn. I'm down. (laughs) Yeah, that, that, I think there are three books, but the third one in that series follows a different couple. Um, Mm. So the first two are like a duology. The first one ends on a cliffhanger. So make sure you have the second one ready for when you finish. Good tip. Good tip. The Kingmaker. (laughs) And the second one is called The Rebel King. Yeah. Love. But honestly, any Kennedy Ryan, like you can't go wrong with. She's one of my favorites. And if you're interested in audiobooks, I definitely recommend her books in audio because the narrators that she gets are very, very fantastic. So I think we're at the part of the episode now, Satoria, where we're going to put you in the hot seat. We're going to ask you a a few mild questions. And then towards the end, we want to get a little bit spicier. Okay? Okay. So we ask all the folks that we interview or have on the pod, these questions. So the first one's pretty simple, right? What are you reading right now? Like, what are you diving into? What format is it in? All of that kind of nonsense. Okay, so those of you who like know me, and by know me, I mean you follow me on social media. I feel like that's close enough at this point. Um, I am like a multi-book reader. If I'm only reading one book, like send someone to check in on me. So I'm reading <laughs> a few books right now. <laughs> I'm reading The Seven Year <laughs> Slip by ah, Ashley Poston. I just picked that up. That is going oh. to be... I think one of my favorite romances of the year and potentially of all time. It is phenomenal. I would definitely recommend it. I'm almost done. I'm going to be so sad. Um, (laughs) I don't want it to end. And then I'm reading completely different. I'm reading (laughs) Martyr by Kaveh Akbar, Mm -hmm. which is a literary fiction. It's pretty heavy because it is exploring the concept Mm. of martyrdom. And it follows uh, Cyrus, who is a recovering addict who's currently sober, but is kind of Mm -hmm. obsessed with this idea of martyrdom. And there is an older woman in the Brooklyn Museum who has a terminal illness. And she's decided that until she passes, she will be in the Brooklyn Museum every single day. And so the story follows Cyrus. And it goes into his family um, and then his family's family and also this woman. And it is just so mm-hmm. fascinating. It is so brilliant. It is so timely. I am really, really enjoying that one. But it is quite heavy because it deals with a pretty serious topic. Yeah. So it's why I'm, I'm balancing yeah. it with. Um, the seven year slip. And then I'm also reading um, Nikki Payne's Sex, Li- uh, Sex Lies <laughs> and Sensibility. Yes. Because mm-hmm. it comes out in February, the day before mm-hmm. Valentine's Day, and it is brilliant. And Nikki Payne is one of my favorite writers. Um, if you like Kennedy Ryan, I think you will like Nikki Payne in that they both take pretty heavy topics and talk about them in their romance books. The difference is, though, that Nikki Payne's is more romantic comedy. So if you're wanting to laugh, I would pick up Nikki Payne because she is an actually funny person. (laughs) So like the way that you like are reading her books and you're like laughing out loud because it's so ridiculous. I love that. And they're also Jane Austen uh, reimaginings. So those are the three books that I'm reading primarily. So you've got three that you're juggling and you're, but you have some tertiary ones also. Yeah, there's some ones floating around in the orbit. I love like that. that I that mm-hmm. I occasionally like all about love by bell hooks. I'm kind of sort of reading it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. And Keep so there are the ones open. that I'm like, 
yeah, they're like, oh, I just, I, I walk past it and I see it. And I'm like, maybe I don't want to read that right now. <laughs> so I picked up. So the next uh, question as we edge more towards the spicy is which book releases are you currently like, oh my God, I cannot wait for this book to come out. Oh my God. Up uh, first and foremost is Little Rot by Akweke Meze. They are one mm. of my favorite authors. If for some reason their publisher hears this podcast episode, please send me an arc. Like I am literally <laughs> begging. I will give you my firstborn child. Like I need that arc so bad. I think <laughs> that's the one that I'm most excited for. And then there are a lot that are coming out, but I've already read them. So I'm yeah. like, does that count? Yeah, I yeah. get that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Uh, Galley. Yeah. <laughs> so silly. <laughs> NetGalley is a curse uh, upon me because uh, all of the arcs that I have requested are coming out next week. And I'm like, <laughs> way to go, Zach. You didn't read half of them. This is a problem. <laughs> Actually, because I DNF'd one, which brings me to the next question. What was your last DNF? Satoria, what a great transition. Oh my God. Okay. It's an SMP title. So I'm not going to say the name because of the boycott, (gasps) but Mm. to guide you into the way that you could probably figure it out, it was a pretty popular Uh sequel that recently came out. Um, It was very beloved, very beloved, the first book. The sequel, though, that came out very late December of 2023. I didn't make it. And I was shocked because I really enjoyed the first one. I DNF'd this book because there's no connection to what was going on in the first book because the author said that she didn't envision them as a collective sort of story, but as two separate books. Hmm. So there are a lot of plot holes that are not answered from the first book in the second one because there was not this envisioning of them as a collective story. And so the second one almost does not feel like a sequel, but as like a separate book entirely that made it quite difficult to like really get into. Hmm. That's so unfortunate. So this is kind of funny because it leads right into the last question that we have for you here. We would love uh, a bookish hot take that you're ready, willing, and able to share with us. I feel like my (laughs) entire TikTok is full of bookish hot (laughs) takes. Yep. Yeah. The entirety. Yep. I'm sorry. It is. Satoria, every time. I feel like every time, like I'm just spewing out bookish hot takes. One of the more recent ones that I was talking about is interesting, actually, for this podcast, now that we're talking about romance, the difference between romance and erotica, Mm -hmm. um, and how I don't think that a lot of erotica writers are labeling their books appropriately. They're labeling them as romance, although they are not romance. I love that. And there are a lot of reasons why this is, right? Like why uh, erotica writers don't label their books as erotica. Like Amazon, for example, um, does like a lot of things that would punish them for doing so. However, I still think that what's happening is a lot of people are going to pick up books that they think are romance and then are leaving very underwhelmed because there's no attention to romance in the books. There's no attention to like character building and fleshing out. There's no attention to plot because these books are actually uh, erotica. And if you're not a romance reader and you don't understand the difference, I like to basically say that in erotica, if I took out all of the spicy scenes, I would have nothing left, right? But in a romance, if I took all of the spicy scenes out, I would still have a full flesh story and the the story would be able to stand on its own. And I think a lot of books that are being called romance, if I took out all of the spicy scenes, like I would be left with nothing. Although the author told me that this is a romance. And so I think that that's like my most recent- That is such a good one. (laughs) Hot take. I think it's very telling that I'm on the Wikipedia page, Satoria, mm-hmm. and I just do control F trying to find the word romance does not exist on the page, number one. And the word love only exists once. <laughs> Wait, what so, did you look up uh, on? Just to prove your point. Wait, what did you look up on Wikipedia? Erotica. erotica. I looked oh. up erotica on Wikipedia. 
So just proving your point here. Yeah. On to something. <laughs> I think one that I have like baking a, a hot take that is cooking. It's not fully fleshed out. I'm starting to uh-huh. see it though. I don't think that the publishing industry and those who are part of it know what the word diverse means. Mm. Mm. Okay, let's have a conversation. <laughs> okay, let's do Uh-oh, it. It's another okay. hour-long I'm podcast it. episode. Let's do, it. let's do it. No, they've got no idea. <laughs> subscribe for part two. Yeah, no, I mean like subscribe for part two, but I'll give you a little hint now if you want us to flesh it out. I yes, think it'd yes. be very interesting. But I mean, obviously we talked a little bit about this earlier, sort of the conversations that are being had around like BIPOC, for example, and disability rep on Book Talk currently. And as I was talking to people about that pers- that like that specific comment that was left, I realized like a lot of people think that the word diverse means not white, Mm -hmm. but that's not what the word means. And I was having a conversation um, with a mutual of Mm -hmm. mine. And in that conversation, we were talking about how harmful that misconception is, particularly for trans and queer stories, because Mm. what you will see happen, right, is if I go into a bookstore and I go to the diverse table and there might be, right, a diversity of races of romance, for example, on that table, but every relationship is cishet, that table is not diverse. And so this is really impacting specifically trans and queer stories because we're seeing this like move for diversity, but because the, the definition that we're using is not white, it is automatically assuming that queerness and transness is inherently whiteness. Mm -hmm. And it is leaving out anyone who is trans and queer, but is not white. And so I, I, I think that where we are headed now is like this huge misconception that is leaving stories behind. Mm-hmm. And as we're making even just the smallest strides and bringing in more BIPOC authors, we are leaving behind trans and queer BIPOC authors as we continue to move forward yeah. because of this misconception and this misuse of the word diverse. It's so interesting too, because even as you're speaking, it's so it becomes so obvious where it's like, okay, if the conversation surrounding diverse reading is still centering whiteness as the primary concept, yep. then clearly we're missing the point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we were talking mm-hmm. and my friend was like, oh, we've whitewashed diversity and like we've taken the diversity out of the word diverse. And mm-hmm. it's a, very similar to what you're saying. The definition that we are using is using whiteness as the baseline, which yep. is inherently, right? <laughs> like we're like- inherently going to <laughs> leave out people if we're saying that whiteness is the baseline and everybody else is other. Right. And so I, I think that I don't know if the if the bookish space is ready, if we're ready for that conversation. Oh, well, <laughs> judging but, by the conversation about the <laughs> acronym for BIPOC, <laughs> apparently we're not there okay, yet. Yeah, we're definitely yeah. not ready. Let me let me rephrase. We are definitely not ready, but I think we should. I think we should be moving toward 100%. just in our own use of the word, right? Like how are we talking about reading diversely in a time where we see so many uh, pushes and challenges, which I love, right? Like I love seeing all of these uh, pushes and challenges for people to be more intentional about what they're reading. But I think that that also requires us to be intentional about the language that we're using and why we're picking those books up and who is not represented in what we're picking up. This is like something that I love about what you Mm -hmm. do on TikTok and like how you move through the bookish space is how you consistently remind people that books are made up of words and language. That is where the power rests in the language that we use in our day-to-day life and our word choices. You know, Zach was talking about how you had put out this uh, sort of conversation about uh, phrasing, listening to audiobooks as reading with your ears and reading with your eyes and sort of I love that. I stole that from you. I yeah. just I stole that-, that from my friend Anna. So shout out to Anna. Shout <laughs> out Anna. Thank you, Anna. Yeah. Because that, being intentional about the language you use day to day is the best way to start a foundation for change in how we 
continue to move through book spaces and what we expect and what we demand from publishing houses and from authors. And I just love that you are at the forefront of this. Like you are out there fighting the good fight, talking about the importance and the strength of language. I just think that's amazing. You're amazing. Fangirl. Thank you. Stop. I'm a fangirl of the podcast. I love y'all. What you're doing here is great. (laughs) So Toria, we have loved having you on the podcast. And actively, I wish that we had another hour to talk about this very specific thing. And we might have to schedule it. But I do I do just want to say thank you so much. Can you plug, please let people know where they can find you on social media? Yes. Yeah, so I'm at Sat Ray Reads on TikTok and Instagram. And if you go to either of those, there will be a link tree. And I also have a newsletter. So if you want like more of my thoughts that I don't really share mm-hmm. um, out on social media, or you want me to go like more in depth with some of the things that I share on social media, you can subscribe to my newsletter. Fantastic. Satoria, thank you again. Uh, And thank you, listener, for uh, being here, listening to another episode of Pages Unknown. As a reminder, you know, we do these episodes almost every week. And if you have not yet, please subscribe to us on Apple and Spotify. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Bye.